Kia good afternoon. Welcome to the panel. Wallace Chapman with you now. Uh, State Highway 1 Southern Motorway, uh, a breakdown on State Highway 1 is blocking the left T2 lane on the southeastern highway on, on ramp northbound. Uh, pass right with care. We'll give you updates on that uh, when it clears. First up, the, the Reserve Bank has left its benchmark official cash rate unchanged at 5.5%. It is the first break in the 21-month tightening campaign, which has seen 12 consecutive OCR rises. The Monetary Policy Committee says inflation and economic activity are slowing and it'll wait to see its previous rate rises continue to have an effect. But it's warned that inflation pressures remain high and the OCR will need to stay high for some time. Now, the Reserve Bank kicked off its tightening cycle in October of 2021. With us is Brad Olson, the Chief Executive and Principal Economist at Infometrics. Uh, Brad, in the Auckland studio, kia ora, good to have you here. Kia ora, thanks for having me. Unchanged at 5.5%, was this expected, Brad? It was, and perhaps for the first time this year we've had an outcome that was expected. Uh, Of course, back in, in May, expectations were for a larger increase, possibly 50 basis points. The Reserve Bank went by 25 at that point, but before then everyone was picking a softer uh, increase back in April and the Reserve Bank uh, came out and surprised us with a bigger one. So this was in line with expectations and I think that's important. They said last time we think we've done enough to try and get inflation under control. We need to watch the previous increases, 525 basis points worth of those increases coming through. They've got to work through uh, the system. They're still going to continue to affect households and I think uh, for the Reserve Bank, they said at the time it would be a high bar for them to actually go back back on their word and start to increase them. There was no evidence that any bar had been crossed, let alone a high one, for them to do anything but sit on their hands today. The big piece, though, everyone had started to get quite interested, a bit antsy, in fact, about you know when are the cuts going to come through. The Reserve Bank, I think, put that on ice as well. They said these interest rates are going to have to remain restrictive for the foreseeable future, and that, to me, says it's not until well into next year that they're able to cut oh, interest really? rates. Uh, I'll jump to our panel very, very soon, but I'm just looking at uh, our rate pretty high by world standards. Standards, Brad. You've got us at 5.5, now Australia 4.1, Eurozone 3.5, Japan point, uh, minus 0.1, the US 5.25, Mexico bucks the trend at uh, over 11%. So what, what does this mean? Well, it does highlight that New Zealand, we raised our interest rates earlier than most other parts of the world, and we've sort of done more. Like, say, the Aussies were starting from a similar point to us. I think they're actually a bit lower at uh, 0.1% to start with, and they've only gone up, like you say, to, to 4.1. So it hasn't been a, a, as big of an increase. Right. We've gone earlier, we've gone larger, and I think that's important because we are actually starting to see the fruits of our labour. It feels uncomfortable in the economy, and that's sort of the point. But you're seeing inflationary pressures coming back. What the Reserve Bank did worry about today, though, and it signalled this risk, is that overseas, and I've heard it too from overseas places that I've been talking to, there's a risk that inflation seems to be a bit stickier, a bit more persistent. It's not holding up at the really high levels, but it doesn't seem to be coming down quite as much. And so I think there's a feeling that we're getting our domestic activity a little bit more under control, but of course we can't influence what happens around the globe. Yeah, I'd just like to congratulate, as an economist, that you got it right. Yay! (laughs) 
<laughs> no one else will say that to me today, I'm sure. <laughs> that sounds really bitchy, but I mean, like, I've been looking at all these forecasts up until now, and I was like, economists, oh, no, sorry, we were wrong. You know, so it must be just, a, it's like a, it's a difficult thing to predict. It is, and I think as well, what one thing that we've been wondering about, and, and now there is a bit more, I think, divergence between economists over what we think is next, both in terms of do they raise any further? My view is no, um, but you've got some of the other bank economists that think that there are raises to come. We probably think if there does have to be a raise, it can't be until November. There's just not enough good information to come through that, that says the Reserve Bank that they're wrong. But then again, you've got people saying, well, when are the cuts coming through? You know, mm. some of the guys at Kiwi Bank, for example, they're a lot more gung-ho on cuts sooner rather than later. Others are thinking that it, actually it takes a little bit longer. I think, in my view, we'd still be picking mid-2024 before those okay. uh, ideas around cuts Martin. come through. <coughs> oh, kia ora, um, Brad. Uh, thanks, Wallace. Um, interesting comment, Brad, that, um, that Wallace made about... Um, we're at 5.5% and other countries around us are, are lower. But equally, you know, we've also got the lowest inflation of some of those countries as well. We're at 67 Australia's at 7%, UK at 8.7%. They are obviously going to move their interest rates towards that. The weekend just gone, um, I w- went out for brunch in Wellington. I couldn't find anywhere to go because it was just chocker everywhere. And are we, gonna, are we spending our way out of this? Is that, is that what's coming? I like, there were people out there just like, there was just money being burnt around Wellington uh, on bacon and eggs. I mean, I think part of that, right, is because Wellington, and, and having flown up to Auckland today, I feel like it's a bit of a reversal in 2023 where Auckland's had more rubbish weather than Wellington uh, has. Mm. So that's perhaps that's a little bit more of, of what's going on. But, I mean, you're right that there's still a lot happening in the economy. There's still a lot of spending. And probably the big thing for me is there's a lot of jobs going. Yeah, there's not mm. the high unemployment, is there? No, and, and that's quite unusual for a recession. Yes. Um, and, and again, I think the difference here, I think, is that normally, and you go back to previous recessions, like before the GFC, you're economic period before then was normal and so you went from normal to weak. At the moment we're, we've been in a very strong economic position and we're trying to go not from strong to weak but strong to normal and I think that's sort of what we're seeing and that's how it's, it's quite uncomfortable at the moment where the economy, and, and this is what how the Reserve Bank is, is trying to sort of thread the eye of the needle, it wants to try and constrain economic activity enough that we bring down inflation and that there's not as much ability for businesses to go, yeah totally we'll just pass on cost increases, they'll have to be a bit more careful about it. But to your point there around you know Wellington going off I think it highlights as well there is still a lot happening it's just that you you want to try and uh, cool the jets a little bit you don't turn off the pot so that it stops mm-hmm. boiling but yeah. you just bring it down to a roll well we're actually going to be coming to that uh, what you are buying later in the program yeah. can I just ask you though uh, on today's announcement uh, Brad Olson uh, confirming today that under the government says uh, the Prime Minister there will be no wealth or capital gains tax end of story I'm, I'm disappointed but not surprised. I think mm-hmm. we do need a capital gains tax. I've said that for a while. I think it, it sort of stunned me a little bit just how far along the road the government was with what looked like pretty comprehensive and wide-changing uh, uh, tax settings without going to the electorate, without asking. But I think as well the fact that they sort of you know dropped the bundle at what seems like the last hurdle highlights how difficult it is politically to have these tax changes. We can't seem to have these discussions in election cycles. It doesn't even seem like we can have them in the lead-up to elections. So I'm sort of a little bit worried you- about sort of that future pathway. Do you think sort of, um, I mean Grant Robertson and and, and Parker, they've been quite keen on this, right, on on these new taxes, but do you think this shows a bit of a division in government um, around this, that that Hipkins has come out and said no, he's put put his foot down so firmly on this? 
I think it highlights just how political it is, and, yeah. you know, and, and especially, um, I mean, uh, the finance minister did a stand up at, at three o'clock on this, and, and you know, he talked a lot about how he might well have been in favour himself, but he's a team player, and I think that tells you a lot in terms of there is appetite for it, mm. but it's not getting cut through, and the electorate people are not keen for that conversation now. I just don't know when we are going to yeah. be okay. I want to th- throw the ball at you. So uh, five minutes ago, we talked about someone bringing in a six hundred thousand <laughs> dollar bottle of whiskey. Okay. Uh, people are still going to auctions buying New Zealand art, which is increasing quite significantly. You don't pay any, you don't pay any tax on that six hundred grand bottle of whiskey. Correct, and and mm. I think I think the issue here is that I mean people talk about capital gains taxes or wealth taxes in terms of the other sort of social changes they might bring about. You know, will the capital gains tax fix the housing market? Will the wealth tax do this or that? I think importantly here the idea is more that we should have a tax system that taxes various forms of income as similarly as possible. I.e., if my time as a worker is being taxed, then yeah, selling your bottle of whiskey should be taxed, not the f- full amount. Again, I don't lose the full amount of my ta- of my uh, wage each week. Mm. It's just saying that we are making profits, like businesses do, you should be paying some sort of tax on it. Yeah. The idea there of a, of a low uh, tax base but a broad tax base is something that we talk about a lot in New Zealand, but actually our tax base is basically businesses, workers, right. and leaving the rest. Yep. Very good. Uh, nice to have you on, Brad. It's nice not, to be here. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, so that's what you do in Wellington all day. You eat bacon and eggs in the mornings. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I am what, but one person, but I, I'd like to think <laughs> I have a few friends as well to go out with. I thought you were going to you really try. <laughs> oh, I mean, uh, that, that too. Yeah. Yeah. Good on you, Brad. Yeah. Oh, that's Brad Olson there uh, from uh, Infometrics. 17 past four, the panel. Turning to politics, uh, by the way, the breakdown on State Highway 1 uh, in Auckland has been cleared. Labour returned its lowest results since 2019 in the latest Talbot Mills corporate poll, which showed its support had slumped five points to 31% of voters, placing it five points below the National Party at 36%. A National Act tie-up is the most likely government, according to the New Zealand Herald poll of polls, which has been updated with the results of this latest Talbot Mills poll. And as we mentioned just before, news today... Uh, no wealth or capital gains tax, uh, says Prime Minister Chris Hipkins. End of story, quote, unquote. With us is Dr Grant Duncan, a lecturer in politics at Massey uh, University. Grant, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Yes, so Labour here facing some uh, real headwinds here with this poll of polls and the Talbot Mills. Uh, No surprises here given the rolling issues of ministers under fire? Uh, yes, yes, no surprise. We might start to see a bit of parting of the ways, so to speak, in the, in the polls uh, between Labour and National. And also, though, there's a uh, another poll that's just come out today that's suggesting a hung parliament um, between uh, National Act on one side and the other three parties on the other. So, uh, look, polls are saying all sorts of things. And as, yeah. you know, as, as I've always cautioned, uh, Wallace, you know, the polls... They're a recent snapshot, but they're a snapshot of an out-of-focus moving target. So we shouldn't read too much into individual polls. OK, so on that, before we go to our panel, so Heather Roy yesterday said that many polls rely on opt-in invitations to participate, which detracts from random sampling. And then she said this. I think at the moment much more accurate um a measure of the um, of how the election night result might be is the question: Is the country heading in the right direction? So she thinks it's more indicative of a prediction for election night. And I know you've had an interest in political polls. What, what do you make of that? 
Oh, yeah, well, I think she kind of has a point. Um, the, the, the right, wrong direction question uh, is a very non-specific one. Uh, so it's hard to judge what criteria a person is using. You know, are they thinking in economic terms or cultural terms or, you know, is it to do with bilingual uh, road signs or something that, that that's making a person answer one way or the other? But um, those results, were, there was a consistent majority through 2021 in the polls saying the country was going in the right direction. Uh, that's now declined. It's switched to consistent majority saying wrong direction since mid-2022. But a, the question I'd ask, though, is how many of those who say wrong direction think that a change of government is going to help put the country in the right direction? Oh. Uh, you know, we don't really know what they think the remedy is going to be. But certainly one thing you can say for sure is that, yes, it's not a good indicator from the point of view of the sitting government at the moment. They would not want, they would not be happy with that kind of result. So I, I, as I say, I don't um, put a lot of store on those particular things. They're just an indication, and I think... Uh, Heather Roy was right to point towards them, yeah. Do you think that it just feels like, you know, with this capital gains tax announcement, etc., it's so hard to get anything done in this three-yearly cycle? Are you somebody that thinks that we should have a longer cycle? Uh, yeah, I'm sort of more or less in favour of that from a policy-making point of view. Yes. Um, with the tax decision in particular, you know, bear in mind that it goes back to uh, the previous term uh, mm. when there was a... An, you know, uh, an investigation into taxation under Sir Michael Cullen. Uh, and uh, Jacinda Ardern ruled out uh, a capital gains tax after that process. Um, I think Winston Peters would like to take some credit for that, if you can call it credit. He, take, he takes uh, credit and, for lots of things, though, doesn't he? Well, yeah, but what I'm saying is that this is just a consistent standpoint that Labour's taken, and yeah. I think that they just don't want to go into the election debate having to have a scrap about, mm. uh, about a CGT. Yeah, do you think it's just that? Do you think, you know, is it, it it's, it's, I find it hard to believe that, that they are also opposed to it, as, you know, what Grant Robertson was saying, et cetera. Is no, it I just think, expediency? I deep, yeah, I think it's expediency deep yeah. down. I think they really, they would like to do it. Martin. Yeah. Um, uh, um, Dr. Duncan, uh, the, um, how much do you think polls actually influence election yeah. decisions? I mean, at, at the end of the day, I mean, they're interesting reading. They're up, as you just said, they're up mm. and down. They're, they're sending so many mixed messages as to what, you know, as what the landscape looks like. What, I mean, how much do they actually, yeah. do you think? Yeah, they do. And uh, there's research to support that sort of bandwagon effect. Yeah. Um, and particularly in our system, it's very frustrating for uh, a party that might be polling under the 5% threshold that mm. it becomes then a sort of self-fulfilling yeah. thing. But also, I think, to some extent, people uh, possibly quite wrongly uh, use the polls to give them, you know, mm. thoughts about how they should vote tactically. Rather than voting for the party that they want the most, they vote for a different party that may get some kind of result in terms of government formation. And, that, you know, so yes, they, they do influence, but we don't really have a um, really solid research to say exactly how much, so to speak. Yeah. And part of the problem is that, as I say, people are being influenced by something that's quite out of focus. I found that, like, sorry, with a, in the US, you know, if the primaries all happened on the same day, I don't think Donald Trump would have won. But it was that rolling, you know, one after the other, and he's doing well, and he's doing well, then everyone jumps on. So that feels like an extreme version of a similar sort of thing to me. Well, true. There's a, there's, I mean, what I think part of the problem with the polls in particular um, is I'm not saying we shouldn't have them. You know, it's a free society. We can have uh, this kind of information out there it can be helpful for people to get an understanding of the landscape, so to speak, and where things are heading. But honestly, I've said this before, I think Wallace have an eye on this program, that 
really, I, I think, too much is made of them as if mm. they were some form of new. Yes, yes, indeed. Now, yeah, uh, can I, can I just, um, sorry, sorry, Mark, I just no, want to go, sort go, of, uh, while, while I um, have you here, Grant, can I just have your thoughts on Hipkins ruling out uh, the capital gains tax and wealth taxes from a, uh, a political lens, I guess? Well, exactly. I think it's just a way of cauterising uh, an electoral issue and uh, Labour is always going to be a soft target in an election campaign when it comes to the question of tax. And so really Hipkins is doing what Adern did and simply um, saying, look, that's simply off the table. Mm. But also that, that's a signal to National, but also there's a signal here to the Greens. To the Greens, yeah. If we end up negotiating mm. uh, a coalition... Uh, a wealth tax is simply off the table, and, and you and guys won't have the numbers to force me into that. And to Party Māori as well, right? Because that's, that's one of their platforms as well, mm. isn't it? Right. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, likewise. Dr. Grant Duncan, kia Thank you again for your Thanks. time. Uh, that's uh, Grant uh, Duncan, lecturer in politics at Massey there. One thing about polls, too, is we probably wouldn't have had Jacinda Ardern without polls, right? Like, it was because of where they were polling that they replaced Andrew mm. Little. So, you know, they play into in such a huge way, but yet are smoke and mirrors a lot of now, a uh, few bit of response actually regarding, uh, or first to this, Wallace, for Wellington example, we have seen heaps of cafes and restaurant closures and the worst decline in foot traffic in the CBD for a generation. Oof. It's not rosy, says someone here. Uh, and um, uh, some really, really, really wonderful responses to Martin Bosley's I've Been Thinking Who just simply wanted to shout out for the uh, under extreme stress that the health sector is in um, mum was given first class care that's been echoed by many people for example this Marianne says I've just spent eight days in Christchurch Hospital sitting with my mum as she went through end of life care mm. at 96 she's been totally independent until she had a fall all the staff were absolutely amazing and for the last four days we were given a private room with a view over Hagley Park to the Port Hills and told there was a pressure to leave but to come and go or no pressure to leave perhaps but to come and go with family as we wished the last night my sister and I were given lounges to stay the night and they were so respectful of our presence we couldn't speak more highly of the whole system oh and it was the new wing of the hospital uh, just one more here in the last five years I've needed serious operations for both cancer and heart at both Hutt and Wellington I'm eternally grateful for first class care so thanks to that you're coming through with just how grateful you are for mm. the stories of the service you've had at hospital and why don't you email me the panel at rnz.co.nz and we'll uh, put some more into the mailbag tomorrow afternoon. Uh, to this, uh, we have Penny Ashton and Martin Bosley on the show today. And yesterday we asked, how much store do you take in Google reviews? Do you base decisions off them? A number of restaurants have been hit really hard with fake Google reviews this week. But what about getting a dud review in general? How do you cope with it? It can be so destabilising. I've heard some authors don't read them at all good or bad and we have two people here who have been in uh, the public sphere for a while both Martin Bosley and Penny 
What about you, Penny? How do you negotiate reviews? Oh, man. Oh, man. Man, 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 man. <laughs> Honestly, it's, it's such a huge thing, and it all depends where you are. For example, mm. if you get a bad review on the Edmonton Fringe, your show is dead. It is, is it? Yep. Really? Yep, yep. And in Edinburgh, not so much. If you get a good review in one of the bigger papers, like I got four stars in The Scotsman and then I sold out the next day, but one person wasn't happy. They walked out and you could tell they were thinking, this is supposed to be good <laughs> sort of stuff. Yeah. But I've had, yeah, I've had, I don't get very many bad reviews, I will say, but I've had some. And the ones that really great are the ones that are ignorant or mean-spirited. For example, I got one recently for a, a big show that I was involved with, and the person just obviously knew nothing about theatre and also was just very mean. And you were like, why on earth are you doing this? Or so often you'll get, like you'll be doing a musical, and particularly overseas when it's hard to get reviews because there's like the Edinburgh Festival, so many shows, like 4,000 shows. So everyone's trying to get reviewed, and often there's not enough reviewers. But somebody will come in and go, I don't usually like musicals. And you're like, well, what did you come to my show for? And that happens a lot as well. But but yeah, getting fake ones is because they, you know, I look at Google reviews. I absolutely oh, you do? do. So absolutely. you do? Okay. When I'm um, going to restaurants, like I was just in Queensland, I looked at reviews constantly. It's interesting because I, I was saying, I, I don't. I'll sort of go to Instagram or try and do a word of mouth, or there might be an independent review. I'm not quite sure if I can trust the Google ones myself. I do read them, though. Yeah, so sure. So they're clearly rubbish. Okay. I ignore it. Yeah. But yeah. Martin. I'm like you, Wallace. I, go to, you know, I, I, I ignore them. I, just, I, I ask word of mouth recommendations. And having been, you know, on the, on, as. Um, as Chand was saying yesterday, on the receiving end of a number of these sort of um, restaurant reviews, it's not as bad. Uh, sorry, it wasn't as bad in my day as it is as, okay. as, as it is now. Mm. Now, I mean, now it's just extraordinary. And um, my 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 policy was was to never engage, never give them oxygen, never reply, never respond, and don't read them. Carry on doing what you're doing. And just stay. For me, it was always stay the course. We knew we were good. We knew what we were doing. Um, oh, and, that's um, interesting. Yeah. As a theatre producer, you, you have know, to read them, though, so you can use them to promote it. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, mean, I, I mean, I used to say this to my staff, but it was, was that you know, we, we would could do 100 people on, on, a, on a given night, and 99 people would walk out the door yeah. going, that was amazing, it was beautiful, it was fantastic. And one person walks out and goes, I really don't like the colour of the walls. And yep. the next day you're in there with a paint chart going, right, we need to redecorate. <laughs> You know, you, you, you kind of forget the 99 <laughs> you just, so you know, and you focus, yeah, you zero totally. on one and go, oh my God, that's what's wrong with us. And I Is have the, that you know? sitting watching an audience. Like if 99 people are laughing and one person Runs has not. the resting bitch face, you you're like, failed. what's wrong with you? What's yeah, wrong with yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, why can't I reach you? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's exactly the human so. condition. <laughs> <laughs> These bad reviews have clearly got under both of your skin. Oh man, I've oh, been they furious. Do. They do. I've been furious. Yeah, sleepless nights. Really? One guy's name was Gordon Kent and I changed it. In my mind. Did you? From oh, Kent to something oh, else. It sounds quite similar, but yeah, not Gordon, We changed Gordon to Gordon <laughs> no, 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 the Kent part. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, you're on the panel on RNZ National. <laughs> we have uh, Penny Ashton and Martin Bosley with us this afternoon.